Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. So many people you just had to meet without your clothes And everybody Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program, featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 8.55 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Are you having a hard time controlling the way you eat? Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous is a recovery program for people who suffer from food obsession, overeating, bulimia and undereating. FA is free and open to all women, men and teens that want to stop eating addictively. For a list of regular weekly meetings in the Melbourne area, visit foodaddicts.org. Good afternoon, it's 5 o'clock, 3CR 8.55am. My name is Mark and welcome to Brainwaves. Today we have uh, a very special guest in the studio, uh, Professor Helen Herman, who's the Director of Research at Origin, the National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health, uh, a Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Melbourne and the President-elect of the World Psychiatric Association. I got all that out, Helen. Goodness me, it's uh, lovely to have you here. Welcome. Thank you very much, Paul. Today we have uh, Kathy. Hello, Kathy. Hi. Hi. And Kathleen. Yep. Uh, interviewing <laughs> Helen and uh, over to you girls. Great. Thank you so much, Mark, for that intro. Um, so just to begin, um, would you mind just uh, giving us a definition of what is physical health and mental health? Well, thanks, Kathleen. Well, the main thing to say is that they're all one and the same thing, that We've over a long time we've been stuck with the idea that mental health is separate, but it's very difficult to be physically healthy and not mentally healthy. And uh, if we've got problems with one or the other, we we have problems overall. So mental health really is the capacity to get on with people, to be able to do things, and um, to uh, live with contentment. Yep, and what role does psychiatry play in mental health? Well, psychiatry is um, comes out of medicine and it comes out of the idea that we've just said that mental health and physical health are linked and so are the illnesses. And psychiatrists are medical doctors who then take an interest in disorders of the mind and how they're linked with the body. So a psychiatrist... Um, is able to uh, talk to someone about their life and 
decide with them what the problems may be and what the pro- how the problems come out of their situation, the way they've, they're living, as well as out of their mindset and as well as out of their biology, what sort of um, chemicals and what sort of genes they, they, they have interacting in their bodies with the things going on around them. So it, it's an important part of um, people remaining healthy, um, having help, and psychiatrists, though, work very much as one of a team. So they're working along with the consumers or the patients and their families, as well as with a whole lot of other professional groups, like nurses, psychologists, GPs. Great. Could you discuss the importance of psychiatry in cooperating with community groups, consumers, carers and other professionals to improve mental health? Good. Well, I think there are a couple of important aspects of this. One, one is that we all need each other. Um, and the second one is that we all have needs uh, that the others can help with. So why do we all need each other? Well, mental health, frankly, is poorly looked after in our community. There's, um, if someone says, I've got a mental illness, other people tend to back away rather than bring apple pie. And as a political community, we don't give enough emphasis to mental health, which means that we don't get the same level of service provision as um, are given to the physical illnesses that affect people in other ways, but to a similar extent. And we don't recognise the effect that um, on families, the families when they are working with us, trying to help their family members with uh, a mental ill health problem, others don't necessarily recognise also that they might become isolated, they might become distressed themselves, and that they have a whole lot of things to do about which they need information and support for doing. So they, these groups um, have needs, but they, we also need to work together to get those resources allocated because at the moment um, the, the links between the groups are quite weak and quite often um, people with illness might say, well, we, we've got a certain view about psychiatry or psychology and the psychiatrists or the psychologists or the nurses will come and say, well, we've got another view about this means and what we should do about it. Now, we're all going to have different points of view, but the main thing is that we get together, work out what is the main story, that story being that um, people with mental illnesses have um, a condition usually that can be treated. They can, they'll certainly get better and that we need to have the services in place to manage that. And we also need primarily to um, give each other the power to help with that. We can do a lot ourselves, we can do a lot within our families and community groups. But until we're all at least saying things that are are not opposing each other, um, we've got a problem. And um, here in Melbourne, 
You are Director of Research at Oregon, um, Professor of Psychiatry at the Centre for Youth Mental Health, the University of Melbourne, and Director of the WHO Collaborating Centre for Mental Health in Melbourne. Can you tell us about the work you do here? Right, thank you. Yes, well, the Origin is the quite recently designated as the National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health. It's been working for uh, 20 or more years as a uh, clinical program and as a um, research centre in youth mental health. And the opportunity now is that we can work in coalition with groups across the country to promote the idea that um, youth mental health, that is the mental health of people between the ages of 15 and 25, is something to focus on, that young people usually don't think of themselves as ill and neither does the community, so they don't go much to GPs. They don't um, feel, don't quite know what to do quite often when they feel upset, distressed, they feel that something's not quite right. They might be anxious or worried. They might have experiences they can't explain and their families might have the same sets of worries. And the idea of um, having a, a clear view that this is the age group in which many of these problems sort themselves out, but doing so, the young people often may um, have problems with drugs and alcohol, they may lose their jobs or discontinue their education. It's then very hard for them to come back and their relationships with families and friends might be affected. So the idea is to intervene early when it's easier to avoid those kind of disruptions in life and when the course of any illness that comes on can be improved by earlier in treatment and support. So it's the age group in which illnesses that persist in life tend to come on. We know that around about three quarters of illnesses that happen for adults uh, start in that age group. So we we have a, a big uh, a big and challenging job, but a lot of community support and professional support for this activity. And uh, within that whole set of activity, I'm particularly involved with one particular with one program that's looking at the mental health of young people living in out of home care. That's young people in foster care and kinship care and some in residential care with um, some joint work across the social services and mental health area, bringing these together in a way that can support the, uh, the really good work that the community service organisations and foster and kinship families are doing. What sounds like some profound work for the mental health community. Um, so you were the acting regional um, advisor for mental health in who's Western Pacific region. Uh, could you tell me what did you experience from your time working there? Yeah. Well, that was a, a really special time. That was about for me about 10 years ago now. But the WHO or the World Health Organization um, is an organization that uh, we continue to have uh, links with and um, work with. And the Western Pacific region of the World Health Organization <clears throat> has its headquarters in Manila. So I had the opportunity to 
go there and to work with um, people in uh, the countries of the region to think about what sorts of mental health policies and programs they had in the countries, in what ways they could uh, they could change, as well as um, to work and working with a lot of professional colleagues in those areas too. Now that region is um, covers about a third of the world's population. It includes China, and it includes Australia and the small Pacific Islands and Japan and uh, many of the countries in between, including Korea and Malaysia and Papua New Guinea. And it's uh, the, the, the things in that region uh, are very diverse. The situation is very diverse. So we have the largest country, the largest population in the world in China, some of the tiniest in countries like Tuvalu and the Pacific, some of the wealthiest countries in the world like Japan, Australia, New Zealand, some of the very poorest like uh, Laos, Cambodia and the islands. So it was an opportunity to see, on the one hand, people doing extraordinary things with very few resources, some wonderful model programs, often based in the community, showing that um, when people have the will, they can do a great deal for each other's mental health, um, even without a lot of uh, technical resources. On the other hand, you can see very... Um, very terrible situations for people living with mental illness, particularly severe mental health problems where there was no treatment available. People were confined either in their homes, maybe chained, and um, where there seemed to be very little hope. At the same time, there were some programs being introduced that were beginning to make a difference to move um, the treatment of people with mental illnesses out of large institutions and into the community the same way that we've done in this country. Okay. Thank you, Professor. That's been a very comprehensive coverage. We're going to go to a song and come back in uh, a few seconds' time. This is uh, The Sounds of Silence from Simon and Garfunkel. I'm struggling with my mental health. I'm concerned about my loved one and need support for myself. I need someone to speak to, but I don't want to burden my family and friends. The experience of mental illness can be emotional, challenging and isolating, but you don't have to go through it alone. Hello, Helpline. Helpline is an information support and referral service. Our trained volunteers all have a personal experience of mental illness and are here to listen, understand and help. Our service is free, confidential, and you can call us from Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm. If you have a mental illness, know someone who does, or just need someone to speak to, call Helpline on 84864222. That's 84864222. My fellowship is a 3CR supporter. And welcome back to Brainwaves on 3CR. We're here with Professor Helen Herman, who's Director of Research at Origin, the National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health. Professor, you mentioned that uh, the demographic is 15 to 25, and that's the, the catchment that you'd like to address. And, and if, what could you tell us about the, the, the data around getting um, people in a, at a young age as far as recovery? Right. Well, the that's the age at which many of the illnesses that affect people later in life first come on. 
But there are many concerns and many sources of distress for young people that don't lead on to those kind of illnesses. But whether or not young people have are distressed or not functioning well because they have an illness, a serious illness coming on or because they have some other reason for feeling that way, in either case, um, providing them with a chance to talk about their problems, to receive reassurance where it's warranted or to get further supports and for their families as well, that's very helpful because the problems with mental ill health come about because of the illness itself, but also the interruptions in life that I mentioned briefly earlier. If you lose out on your education, if you uh, lose your home, if you lose your friends, if you don't have a job, and if you start to use alcohol and drugs um, in a harmful way, then uh, you really do have a difficult time for coming back and starting again. Our society is not necessarily very forgiving of those things and people get a record, they get, um, but more importantly, they get their, their own expectations of themselves are set. So there's that important aspect of the people at the most productive and, and uh, promising part of their lives being able to maintain hope and be, find, find a way out of difficulties. And the second reason, as I said, it relates to the fact that sometimes this kind of uh, distress, um, anxiety, worry, strange experiences might be the beginning of um, an illness that's more serious. It might uh, become a more severe depression or it might become... Uh, a psychotic disorder of some kind. Each of these is treatable and uh, people recover, people might get ill again but learn when that's coming on. Um, those conditions, the evidence is becoming clearer that the earlier there's treatment, the, the better the ultimate outcome for people. Okay, and, and I'm sure medication has changed greatly over the years. Now, you mentioned that uh, Origin started around 20 years ago. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, how that all came about. Well, I, I gather you're having my friend and colleague, Pat McGorry, coming soon to talk to you. So he'll, he'll tell you a lot more. However, in the early stages, perhaps a lot longer, even 30 years ago, um, in a place like Royal Park Hospital, which was a very special place in many ways. This was um, over in Royal Park in Parkville. It was the place where uh, Dr. John Cade worked after the Second World War and where the, the use of lithium was first um, experiment, first, where lithium was first used. And this is one of the landmark uh, medical discoveries that Australia is known for. This is now a, a sta still a standard treatment for manic depressive disorder or bipolar disorder. Uh, that was pioneered there, and Dr. John Cade was still teaching when I was a medical student. So there's an important sense of history about this place. And uh, in the 1980s, uh, there were a number of people at Royal Park who got their heads together and thought, it's not doing anybody any good when we have young people coming in with these kind of problems we've been talking about and being 
put in wards with people who've been ill for many years. They don't mix that well. And uh, also, we're not allowing them to recover. That even if their illnesses um, improve, they're being sent away to boarding houses and coming back with illnesses uh, recurring, <clears throat> even when with appropriate treatment they could be doing much better than that. So it was really the clinical observations, <clears throat> excuse me, that the lack of hope and the low expectations and really the false idea that many that illnesses like schizophrenia were were not uh, curable or were, the situation was hopeless. We know that you should never give up hope on anyone, whatever their past history. And you mentioned some of those uh, old institutions like, um, you know, um, Parkville and La Rundle and all these places, and we had a, a lady in. Can someone remind me of the lady's name that was in a few weeks ago? I, 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 we had the, uh, the lass in with um, schizophrenia. Anyway, she was up at La Rundle for 11 years, mm -hmm. and it was an astounding story she told us of uh, that time there. Mm -hmm. And to your point earlier, where you, you know, it was a it was it were very misunderstood, and people just put people in a in a in a big institution mm -hmm. and assumed that they would either get well or perhaps not get well. How has it changed now, whereby there's a lot more public awareness, there's a lot more you know research and study around not doing that. And what changes can you see in the future regarding that research? Well, I th think that we, we do understand a bit more uh, uh, within the professions and within the communities, we understand that. But it's not a, understood well in the general public. People still see, and politicians and social advocates um, still think of mental severe mental ill health as something that... Uh, is not going to change for someone. Whereas we, we do understand that um, people can recover, do recover, and that's not just a professional job, it's a job where there's need support from all sorts of quarters, but most prominently comes from the person with, um, with them um, getting support from other people as they need. Mm -hmm. Um, so our job, like your job here on Brainwaves, is to bring these stories out and for us to work with you and uh, encourage the allocation of resources to research. What's the best way to support people to recover? What's the best way to help families? What's the best way to empower families to work well? They're the sources of information and expertise along with, this, with the consumers about uh, what their illnesses have been. Well, that sounds really fascinating. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, just a quick question that I wanted to ask you. Uh, why do you feel there needs to be more of a focus on women's mental health issues? Well, this is a topic that I'm keen to pursue in my role with the World Psychiatric Association. Now, that, that association is a non-government organisation and its members are all the national psychiatric associations, including our Royal Australian New Zealand College of Psychiatrists. So there are 140 national associations that are members, and there is a um, the possibility to, to work with international 
bodies as well as the, each of the countries in relation to mental health. And being a, a, a woman as president of that association is an opportunity. And one of the topics, as well as youth mental health, that I've been involved with over many years is women's mental health. So the area of young women and girls and the ways to improve their mental health is uh, very close to my heart and what I hope to be a prominent agenda there. Coming really to your question about why, well, there are, very, there are different patterns of mental ill health for men and for women. The, the big question for women living in adversity in particular, either in poverty in a country like Australia or women in, uh, living in other parts of the world, particularly some of the low-income countries where women's rights are not uh, well looked after, that how do we support women so that their mental health is improved as well as them obtaining or gain, gaining access to respectful treatment for mental health, mental ill health. So I see that the importance of women's mental health is a question of um, human rights and it's a question of worldwide of um, the importance of women's health, coming back to health and mental health being so closely intertwined being important to their families, the children, and to men, so that women's health and mental health is important to everybody. The reason to think of it separately, because why leave out men? It's not a matter of leaving out men. It's a matter of gaining a closer understanding through talking to women in different situations about what it is that's important to them that can change to improve their mental health, in what ways, if they get mentally if they get depressed or they get some other form of mental ill health, what sort of services do they need? In many countries, this can be mainly obtained through primary health care, as it is here, in fact, but they may not have as much specialist help. So how do we make use of scarce resources and support women to improve their mental health? I suppose one particular example that's very important worldwide and been under-recognised has been the mental health of women soon after they've given birth, during pregnancy in the first year of, uh, of um, the baby's life, that one in five women everywhere, whether it's in this country or in Vietnam or China, is likely to have some form of depression. And uh, this is quite often because um, of the social situation um, and it quite often related to violence in the family. So there's much we can do medically, but as well as that socially in terms of voluntary health workers, community health workers, and um, getting uh, advice from, from as much specialist mental health expertise as needed. Well, look, thank you so much, Professor. We're, we've run out of time. It's been an incredibly informative 20 minutes with you. I wish we had another half hour. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. That's Professor Helen Herman, the Director of Research at Origin, the National Centre of Excellence in Youth Mental Health. This has been Kathy. Hi. Kathleen. Hi. And Mark, signing off from uh, Brainwaves. You can tune in 3CR 855am every Wednesday at 5 o'clock. Thanks again to Professor Helen Herman. Thank and, you, Mark. Uh, Thanks. We'll, uh, we'll leave you with the song. We'll see you next week. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.